Hi guys, and welcome back to the Mystery and Comedy Old Time Radio Podcast. I want to once again thank everybody who has listened and subscribed to my podcast. I really, really do appreciate it, guys. Please join me as we continue our Spooktober presentation this afternoon. As we bring back to the show Mr. Boris Karloff, Mr. Bella Lagosi, and Mr. Vincent Price in The Monsters Tell the Story Part 2. In this first episode starring Mr. Boris Karloff, he plays a man who has never dreamed a dream a day in his life until one night he has his first dream that he's ever had and it is a horrifying nightmare and the nightmare leads him all the way to do the unthinkable a lady's voice is heard and saying one word kill the dream drives him to the point of no return until the end when he is at a courtroom waiting the jury's decision on whether he's guilty or not it's not until he gets to court that the unfortunate thing happens he dies right in the courtroom and it is called the dream and it is from the arch obler lights out mystery show and in this next episode starring mr bella lagosi mr bella lagosi plays a doctor of well-known psychology who is a professor at a university has introduced a new theory that he can prevent someone from killing themselves by having them kill the person who wronged them. So one night he finds a young lady who is on the verge of committing suicide at the bridge and tells her that she needs to kill the man who hurt her. Her four-year fiancé is the one that she is supposed to kill. But unfortunately for the doctor, it does not work out for him. It comes back and bites him. And it is called the Doctor Prescribed Death. And it is from the old-time radio show Suspense. And in this final episode starring Mr. Vincent Price, he plays a man who is trapped between the courtroom and a timeline, going back to his crimes before receiving the ultimate punishment of the gas chamber. As he retells the story, of how he became a murderer. He's on a train and all of a sudden the train crashes and over a hundred people die in the train crash. But the man escapes and goes to 
two houses. One that holds the woman who betrayed him and her lover and to the other house where he thinks that the woman is still alive in that house. And he does the unthinkable by killing both couples. And as he's on his way to the death chamber, he tells himself that he will survive, but unfortunately doesn't. And it is called Past Tense and is from the old time radio show Escape. I hope you guys enjoyed Mr. Boris Koloff, Mr. Bella Lugosi, and Mr. Vincent Price in the Monsters Tell the Story Part 2. If you like the show, please comment and subscribe, guys. And always remember to enjoy the show. Thanks. Tonight is the fourth anniversary of Lights Out. After four years of fantasy and imagination, chills and thrills, Lights Out celebrates by bringing to the microphone the internationally known actor whose name has become synonymous with the unusual and fantastic. The National Broadcasting Company takes pleasure in presenting Boris Karloff in the first of a special series of Lights Out broadcasts. Lights Out. Everybody. Tonight, Lights Out presents another psychological drama, a play in which the principal part is taken not by the character himself, but his thoughts. The voice you are about to hear is that of the thoughts of one Daryl Hall, accused murderer, sitting in a courtroom awaiting the return of a jury, which is to decide whether he is to live or die. And as he waits, the thoughts in his mind seethe and swirl, and swirl. Not guilty. 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 Father in heaven, why don't I stop thinking those words? Words those jurymen are saying. He's guilty. Not 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 I've got to keep my head clear. I've got to figure things out. When did all this start? Yes. I remember. That night, Wayne and I were sitting in my room, talking about dreams. I remember he said... Oh, come on, Daryl. Don't expect me to believe that one. Well, I'm certainly telling you the truth. A fellow with your imagination wasting his time teaching biology to a bunch of co-ed nitwits. No, sir, you should be writing fiction. 
I assure you, my dear Wayne, I've told you the truth. You're really serious? Of course I am. You actually mean that in all your life you've never had a dream? Never. Not even when you were a child? To my knowledge, I've never had a dream in all my life. Well, how do you like that? <laughs> I like it very well. <laughs> I close my eyes, oblivion, and then I wake up. No nightmare hangovers for me, thank you. Now, uh, <laughs> now, wait a minute, Daryl. Let me get this straight. You mean you've never even had a dream after, uh, you know, eating a Welsh rare bit at midnight or surrounding a dozen green apples or anything like that? <laughs> Believe me, Wade. I've never had a dream of any shape, form, or description in all my life. A dream to me is just a word. Something that happens to other people but not to me. But everyone must dream. Well, perhaps. But it just so happens that my subconscious doesn't work that way. I tell you again, I have never dreamt. Well, what do you know about that? Just unbelievable, I tell you. Unbelievable. Yes, that's what he said. Unbelievable. It was unbelievable that I'd never dreamt. Then after a while, he went away and left me there. It was early evening. But I remember that somehow, strangely, I was very tired. I sat down in the easy chair. Oh, I was tired. I closed my eyes. I slept. And then, then it happened. A strange murmuring in my head. Yes, that's how it started. A murmuring as if in warning. And then in, in the darkness around me, strange faces lifting and falling. White faces, faces without hope, their eyes full of horror, their white bloodless lips pleading wordlessly in a way that made the heart in me cry out in pity. And suddenly, I knew I was asleep and dreaming. Yes, dreaming for the first time in my life. And these faces I was seeing were things out of a dream. And even as I knew that, the dream was gone. And yet I knew that I was still asleep. And I had a terrible feeling of foreboding, of a horror to come in that dream. What? How? I didn't know. But I wanted to stop sleeping. I wanted to open my eyes quickly before. And then I saw her moving slowly toward me out of the darkness that was my dream. At first, a white, wraith-like thing. And then I saw it was a woman. Yes, the body of a woman, but the face. Father in heaven, that face. Gross, unclean, thick, bestial brows, wrinkles of venery, the lecherous writhing of thin crimson lips that lifted from teeth, bright and pointed, and flecked with blood. Yes. A glorious body and a face from hell. Closer, closer to me. And then she spoke one word. Kill. Yes, that's what she said. Kill. And as she said it, she moved closer. Her hands went out, her eyes in my dream, I screamed. I awoke. I remember, just at that second, 
the clock on the mantel began striking. Five, six, seven. Thankfully, I counted each chime, since the hearing of it meant that I was awake, awake out of the horror of that dream. When the clock had stopped chiming, I sat there. My one thought was, if this be dreaming, let me never dream again. I heard a sound. What was that? I sat still, afraid to move. And then I laughed. It was my own heart. My own heart still pounding with fright at what I'd seen in my first dream. Oh, why do I sit here thinking of what has been? The jury in there. They've got to hang me. Free him. They've got to hang me. No, no, I mustn't think of them. Better to keep my thoughts on how it all started. Better to figure things out. Where was I? Ah, yes. Sitting there, listening to the beating of my heart. Thinking of the horror of that dream. And then, suddenly, that strange, wordless murmur I had heard in my dream was whispering in my head again. Quickly as it began, it was gone. How could this be? I was awake. Awake. This was no dream. Then why had I heard that wordless entreaty? That same sound that had come from those miserable white faces that had floated before me while I slept. Why? Why? I heard it. Sound behind me. Who? Why, yes, my friend Wayne. Must be he. Come back into the room, standing behind my chair, thinking I was asleep. I turned round and said, Wayne, is that you? Ah! Yes. I screamed. I screamed so loudly there was blood in my throat. For it was she again. That woman. That woman out of my dream. But this wasn't a dream. She was standing there, I tell you. She was standing there close to me, looking at me. And those lips out of hell said that one word. Ew. I jumped to my feet. No one in the room. No one, I tell you. I remember standing there. My head reeling. Who was she? Where did she come from? But there was no one in the room. Had there been anyone there? I didn't sleep that night. But by morning, yes, by morning, I had it all figured out. Two dreams. That's what it had been. And the second had been more vivid than the first. Why, of course. I'd never dreamed before. So, of course, my first dreams would seem reality. How easy it was to quiet the unrest in my mind. Easy to make oneself believe what one wants to believe. And yet, some measure of uncertainty remained with me. And Mary saw it in my face when I had dinner with her that night. Daryl, do you mind if I ask you something? Well, what a question. Of course not. Is there something wrong? You mean with the dinner? Well, you know, this is my favorite restaurant. With you, dear. 
Has something gone wrong at the university? Why do you ask that? The worry in your eyes. Oh. What is it, dear? Oh, it's nothing. It's nothing important. You've changed your mind about loving me? Mary. Then tell me what it is, please. All right. It's really nothing to concern yourself over. Just a... a dream. Dream? Sarah, you dreamed. Yes. Last night. How marvelous. Now you're normal even when you sleep. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, isn't it? I'm back to normal, Sarah. <laughs> and here I thought from the expression on your face that it was something really important. <laughs> Funny, isn't it? And I suppose in your first dream you dreamt of a... <laughs> glorious, seductive woman. No, Mary. Ah? Did you have a nightmare? If you don't mind, let's... Let's not talk about it anymore. Shall we have our dessert now? Now... I suggest the hot green apple pie with cheese. Daryl, was it as bad as all that? Horrible. Oh, that's cruel. Your very first dream, an unhappy one. Oh, well, I'm sure that if you dream again, you've more interesting times ahead. Oh, Daryl, look at the time. A minute to seven, and we promised the Armstrongs we'd pick them up at 7.15. Daryl, what is it? Your face. Do you hear it? Hear what? You do hear it, don't you? The voices. Voices? Daryl, what are you talking about? Why, well, the people in this restaurant are most well-behaved. Gone. Just the way it was before. Daryl, please, if this is a joke, please tell it to me. <gasps> Daryl, what is it? What are you staring at? What's behind my chair? What's there, Daryl? Tell me what's <gasps> behind... <gasps> Daryl, the table. Why did you throw over the table? Daryl, what is it? What is it? wanted to know why I had done it. Screamed, thrown over the table, they all wanted to know. But how could I tell them, tell them of her, standing behind Mary's chair, that thing of degradation, and those lips saying, kill. I went home. Mary thought I was overworked. Darling, you've been working so hard. Go home and rest, dear. That's all you need, rest. 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 What good was rest? I had to reason things out. All my life I'd lived with reason, and now this, this horror. I had to know all about it. Now I was certain it was no dream. What I had seen there in the restaurant had been no thing of sleep. Hallucination. Yes, that was it. I had been working hard. Too much work was the answer, and rest would cure that. Yes, indeed. And so I rested through the next day. It was quite dark when I awoke. The phone rang. It was Mary calling to find out how I felt. Are you sure you're all right, Daryl? Why, yes, Mary, yes. I'm fine, thank you. You sound all right. Your advice was good, dear. Apparently rest was just what I needed. Then go along back to bed. I'll talk to you tomorrow. All right, dear. Thanks for calling. Goodbye, Daryl. Sleep well tonight. I hung up the receiver. And then the clock on the mantel behind me began striking. Always at seven. Always at seven. Always at seven. Yes, that was true. Each time it had been seven when it had happened. And then, 
With the last chime of the clock, I realized it was seven again. Seven? Would I see her again? I stood there, back against the wall, waiting. So quiet, I could hear the clock ticking away the seconds. Would it happen again, this hallucination of mine? I waited. I heard no pitiful murmur of voices. Just quiet. So dark in the room, I could see the shadowy emptiness of a chair near the other wall. And then the chair was no longer empty. There was someone in it. I said, who's there? Answer me, who's there? No answer. The strange darkness in the room. Deeper and deeper, I could see nothing. And then, two swirling pools of flame led right. Closer and closer. I stood there. I couldn't move. Rumbling began in my brain. Fear, I tell you. Fear tearing up my brain louder and louder while those red circles of light came closer and closer. Father in heaven, what was it? What? And then I knew. It was her eyes, her eyes burning close into mine, into the brain of me, pounding one thought into me. Kill, 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 kill. Why did she say that? Why? Kill whom? Why should I kill? Why should I kill? If I had known then. Jury, they're coming back. The verdict, what? No, not yet. Still out. Oh, they've got to find me guilty. I've got to hang. I've got to. If I live. Oh, but I mustn't think of that. I must think of what happened. Where was I? Ah, yes. That, that woman. Her eyes pounding that word into me and then... Gone again. But this was no dream. Then What? A voice within me whispered, Crazy, crazy, crazy. No, I was saving. That horror was real, real as the breath in me. And with that realization, the coldness as of a wind blew around me and clutched at my heart. For if she was reality, somehow I knew that I was lost. And so it began. Night after night, the stroke of seven... First, that wailing dirge of those lost souls. And then her writhing lips. People would see this madness that had come over me. I went nowhere. And soon I knew that they were talking of me. I tell you, I My don't friend. know what come over, Daryl. Hides in his rooms, won't even talk to me. Something's wrong there. Hey, Mary. Please, Daryl, you've got to let me see you. This talking over the phone, oh, darling, what's wrong? What's wrong? And night after night, the horror. And the greater horror. Kill, kill, kill. Thank you.
Harry pleaded with me. Dear, if you love me, please let me see you, talk to you. Come over to my house tonight. Oh, please, Daryl, perhaps I can help you. Please, darling, please. I didn't want to go, but I went that night. Perhaps she could help. Yes, help me understand the madness of those wailing voices and drifting white faces. Understand the horror of that woman and that maddening world. Mary, so understanding, so gentle, she could help me clear my head of the madness. Oh, Daryl, you're here at last. Mary, help me. You will help me. Oh, Daryl, your face so white. Oh, I... Don't talk yet. Sit here and rest. I'm sane, Mary. Believe me, I'm sane. Of course, dearest. Of course you are. It's that madness outside of me. Those white, drifting faces moaning at Rest, me. darling. And that woman out of hell. Woman? Her eyes and lips telling me to... The time. What? The time. What time is it? At seven. <gasps> Dear, what is it? I've lost track. I've got to get out of here. Dear, don't... Wait, don't go. Too late. Daryl, what is it? Too late. Late. You hear them, don't you, Mary? I'll go call a doctor. Listen to them. Their voices are so loud tonight. Listen, Mary. Daryl, don't. There's no one here. You hear them? You must hear them. What are they saying? Louder and louder, trying to tell me something. What are you saying, you out there? What are you telling me? Daryl, stop! They're gone. Faces, voices, gone. Oh, she'll be here. Oh, Daryl, please, you're right, Nick. Kill, 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 kill. You hear her, Mary? You hear her? No, no, Daryl, please. Louder and louder and louder. I hear her. Sing out of heaven, go back, I tell you. Make her stop, Mary, make her stop. Stop it. She devil, you, what do you want to be? Stop it, stop it. I can't stand anymore. Ladies and gentlemen, my lecture for today 
will be on the subject of the selective factor in the evolutionary... I stopped. A murmur in the air. Those voices again. But it was broad daylight. I'd never heard those voices in daylight before. What did they want of me? What were they saying? There was a strangeness in their pitiful voices. Yes, like... Yes, like a dirge, a dirge of tears and sorrow for someone. For me, yes, for me. And then... Her voice. Laughing, laughing, triumphant. Then I understood. For the first time I understood everything. She had triumphed over me. That was why those lost souls were waving a dirge over me. I was hers. Hers forever. And ran out of there like a madman. Ran, ran, and as I ran, those voices of the damned were talking to me. We are doomed as we are doomed. No. We listen to her and no. murder. Now you are one of no. us. No peace no. through all eternity. No. Rest for those who murder. All eternity. But covered with my ears and my hands, I ran. No use. I heard them. I heard them. Only one hope for you, man. One hope. So that was it. My one hope. If I paid society for my crime, she would fail. I would be free of her, that thing, that essence of evil. That siren who called men to murder so that their souls would be slaves to her for all eternity. Yes, yes, I'd pay for my crime. I ran on, on, back to Mary's house. Yes, I'd pay him gladly with my life to have the peace of the rest of oblivion. I went back into the house. Yes, Mary was lying there, cold. I lifted her. Those same hands that had crushed the life out of her lifted her and carried her out into the sun. My eyes were so filled with tears that I could hardly see where I walked. People began milling about me. He's got a woman in his arms. Well, where's he carrying her? She must have fainted. No, look, he's dead. What? Who killed her? Huh? Hey, mister. Hey, mister, who killed her? I did. Who killed her? I killed her. With my own hands, I killed her. And please, I want to die for this. And then the trial. My friends, they wanted to save me. Clever eternities, sanity commissions and twists of the law. But I wanted to die, I tell you, I had to die. If they set me free, if I lived and died as most men die, the death they call a natural one, then she would have me. No, no, I want a hang by the neck until dead. I want that noose around my neck. The trap beneath my feet, the jailer pulled the switch. My feet dancing in air. The noose strangling me as my hands strangled Mary. Free for my crime and I'll be free. Free of that horror with the writhing lips and blood-stained teeth. Oh, 
in the court. All in the court. The jury. They're coming in. Guilty. They've got to find me. Gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict? We have, Your Honor. Guilty. The clerk of the court will read the verdict, please. Guilty. 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 Find the defendant. Guilty of murder in the first degree. Oh, you guilty. 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 Stand back, please. It's no use. This man is dead. Heart attack. Hold it. Would you take a look at his face? Yeah. As if he was looking at the devil himself. Ladies and gentlemen, you have just heard the first play in a special series commemorating the fourth anniversary of Lights Out and starring Boris Karloff. Next week, Mr. Karloff will appear in another new air drama by Arch Obler, a play suggested by the Sibelius musical composition, Waltz Triste. It is a story of death and a revenge beyond death. Listen to... Lights Out with Boris Karloff. Lights Out, written especially for radio by Arch Obler, comes to you each Wednesday evening from our Chicago studios. This is the National Broadcasting Company. This is the man in black, here again to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. Our star tonight is Bela Lugosi, playing the part of Professor Antonio Basile, psychologist. The story is by J. Donald Wilson, who calls it The Doctor Prescribed Death. 
If you have been with us on these Tuesday nights, you will know that suspense is compounded of mystery and suspicion and dangerous adventure. This series of tales is calculated to intrigue you, stir your nerves, to offer you a precarious situation, and then withhold the solution until the last possible moment. And so it is with the doctor prescribed death and Bela Lugosi's performance, we again hope to keep you in suspense. Professor Antonio Basile has a theory, but let him tell you about it. As a psychologist, I have worked out a theory. A theory I know to be sound. I contend that a person who has decided to kill himself can very easily be turned from this desire to the desire of taking the life of another. I can prove my theory. And if necessary, that is exactly what I will do. Yes, Professor Antonio Basile has a theory. But only a theory. And he's worried about what his publisher will say. So he visits the editor, whose name is Hellman. Hellman finishes the manuscript and tosses it on the desk. Professor Basile leans forward eagerly and... Well, Hellman, what do you think? Professor Basile, it's purely conjecture, simply a theory, and I wouldn't advise publishing it. I worked on that theory for a long time. I'm positive of it. I know it'll work. Suppose it will. What good is it? What good have you accomplished if you can prove it'll work? <laughs> Are you laughing at me, Herman? It's so silly. An ordinary human being has suffered reverses. is sick of it all. He wants to leave it all behind. And you say he can be changed to want to kill someone else. I do. Self-destruction and the destruction of other life are closely related in the mind. The dividing line is very thin. It's ridiculous. And you won't publish it? Ranger would fire me. Why? He told me that, in his opinion, you should be in the asylum. Mr. Granger said that. Does he think I'm insane? <laughs> How do I know? Hellman, Mr. Granger didn't say that. It's you who thinks I'm crazy. You've never liked me. For some reason, you are trying to tear me down. Well, we'll see, Mr. Hellman. We'll see. Now, wait a minute. I'll show you whether my works are illogical. I'll show you whether I'm insane. Oh, calm down. <laughs> I'm going to make you eat those words. I know you don't like me, but I'm going to prove that my theory is sound. Good night. Wait a minute. Basil, wait. You wait, Hellman. You wait. Yes, wait, Hellman. Wait. Professor Basile, seething with resentment, rushes from the office and strides angrily down the street. Insane, huh? I'll prove my theory. I'll find a subject. I'll find someone who wants to take his own life. And so Basile goes home, late for dinner. He finds a note from his wife, Myra, saying she's decided to attend the opera and will be home around 11.30. Then Professor Basile gets an inspiration. He goes to the bridge over the deep canyon, the bridge called Suicide. And strangely enough, he hasn't long to wait. As he stands against the railing in the fog, a figure appears a few feet beyond, stops, prepares to leap. Don't do it! Wait a minute! 
Listen. Huh? That's very silly. Let go of me. Oh, no. I couldn't do that. I need you. I don't need you. Don't you know this is uh, against the law? You're not an officer. You can't stop me. It's 500 feet to those tracks below. Hard steel rails. And don't believe what they all tell you about not being conscious of what happened. You'd know. People don't die instantly. Let loose. They lie in agony for minutes and sometimes for an hour. It's a horrible death, I know. How do you know? I'm a doctor. Doctor? Yes. I can tell you much simpler ways, much less painful ways and quicker. You're a nice young girl, an intelligent girl. You wouldn't want it to happen this way. Maybe after I talk to you a while, you wouldn't want to do this at all. No. No. But come on. Let's talk it over. Maybe a few minutes' talk will change the entire picture for you. What could you do to help me? If you'll come, I'll tell you. There's a motive back of your wanting to do this, and I'd like to know what it is. Nothing doing. Haven't you any relatives? Any loved ones you'd like to do something for? Yes. Then if you talk with me for a while, maybe I can find my way clear to help those people. You sound crazy to me. Oh, no. All right, I'll... Where? My apartment. Let's go. Well, here we are. Come in, please. Well, what do you want to know? Now, sit down first. Are you hungry? No, I'm not that broke. It isn't pop. I knew that. I could tell by your clothes. Now, first, why did you come here? Why? Why, because you talked me into it. <laughs> See, you're not afraid of me? Afraid? In my frame of mind. What could I lose? Suppose I told you that I really brought you here to kill you. Kill me? <laughs> you know, you're a very pretty girl, don't you? Yeah. That doesn't always mean so much. The right man, it might. That's what I thought. But I found out it didn't mean a thing. Ah. Then it was because of a man. I knew it. Really? How did you guess? I'm a student of psychology. I'm Professor Antonio Basile. I see. And you want to know what makes me tick? You want to know the reason behind my action tonight? That's right. I would like to know what happened to make you want to kill yourself. Suicide is a mental aberration. Yeah. I'd like to know what preceded the decision to destroy yourself. And what you thought about until the moment I stopped you on the bridge. What good will that do me? You said you weren't broke, but you also said you had some loved ones you'd like to do something for. I meant I wasn't broke to the point of being hungry. I have a few dollars. But you suggested help for someone in larger terms. Yes, I did. Who is the loved one? My mother. You are her only means of support? Yes. And you intend to kill yourself? Yes. That's being selfish, isn't it? Selfish? Yes. You are concentrating solely on self. You think so? What else? The first law of human nature is self-preservation, right? I suppose so. The second law is the preservation of family. 
Yeah. So you decide to deny the first law and destroy yourself. And as a consequence, deny the second and leave your mother alone and in need. You indicate a form of insanity. What would be normal? To destroy the other person. The one who has done you wrong. Have you hurt him? No. Then the one who has done wrong should be the one to suffer. You have no legal recourse? Legal recourse? No, I haven't, I'm sorry to say. And you would kill yourself to let your poor mother suffer because of the wrong of another. Why shouldn't he be the one to suffer? I suppose you're right. Why shouldn't he? What happened after all? Why not tell me about it? Were you married? No. I never seemed to find time to get around to marriage. What's your name? Gladys. Gladys Tanner. How long had you known him? Almost four years. And you always thought he meant to marry you? Yes. Until three weeks ago. Yes? On July 1st, he had to leave town for a week on business. Said he was going to Kansas City. When he came back, he seemed to be too busy to see me. Then a week ago, I found a snapshot along with several others in his desk in his home. May I see it? Certainly. It's a picture of him and another woman. But the picture was not taken in Kansas City. It wasn't? No. It was taken on the beach at Atlantic City. And it's dated by the finisher, July 3rd. Since he returned, he's refused to see me. Yesterday, he finally said he didn't care to see me anymore. But I'd better forget him. But it isn't so easy as that, is it? No. I figured I'd done something. And blame myself. Do you... Uh, do you know this blonde woman in this uh, snapshot? No. Then it must be a woman uh, he has met uh, recently. You've known him for, for four years. I don't think you are to blame He's the one in the wrong. And he should be made to suffer. How? You were going to kill yourself. Why should you? Kill him instead. He double-crossed you. He deserves it. Now, let me go a little deeper into the situation. Whenever a person has reached the conclusion... to take his life. made up your mind, Miss Tanner. Positive. Now, if you're careful, you won't be caught. No. But whether you are or not, I'm giving you this check for a thousand dollars made out to cash to be sent to your mother only after the man is dead. Write his name on the spare. There you are. I will know what has happened by the newspapers. And I will be told payment... Until I learn that you have gone through with it. It'll happen tonight. Very well. You are sure? You are determined? Absolutely. Nothing could stop me. Very good. But just what would happen if I did get caught? You won't get caught if you follow my instructions. I know. Now, here is a small revolver. It'll fit easily in your purse. That's all you need. Be sure to wipe your fingerprints off. 
and leave the gun near the body. Yeah. Well, goodbye, Dr. Basile. Goodbye, Gladys, and good luck. Professor Basile watches Gladys as she crosses the street to the dimly lighted bus stop. Then he rushes to his car and drives away. A few minutes later, he comes to a stop at Hellman's house. Hellman, the editor who ridiculed his theory. Just a minute. Oh. Hello, Basile. Good evening, Hellman. Thought I'd drop out to have a little chat with you. Well, why this time of night? It's kind of late, isn't it? Eleven. Didn't think that was late for you. No? Uh, come in. Thanks. Sit down. What's on your mind? I want to talk to you about my theory you ridiculed so definitely. My theory about suicide. Oh. Well, I just don't believe it, that's all. And I said I'd prove it, didn't I? Yes, but what are you getting at? It's going to be proved. My theory is going to be proved tonight. Well, that's fine. Go right ahead and prove it. I don't like you, Hellman. I never liked you. And I know you don't like me. I can't help that, Basile. What are you staring at? Is there someone here with you? Certainly not. Why? That's a woman's purse on the Davenport. Hmm? Oh, my secretary dropped by earlier this evening with the manuscript. She must have forgotten it. She's not here now? Of course not. Then I'll continue. I found a subject. A girl who was ready to commit suicide because a man jilted her. In a few hours, I was successful in changing her thoughts from suicide to homicide, and she is going to kill the man tonight. What do you think of that? There may be a dozen murders tonight. Ah, but you know which one I mean. You know about this murder. What do you mean? Because I'm going to tell you who the victim is going to be. You know who the intended victim is? Why don't you stop it? <laughs> but then I wouldn't have proved my theory. If you put this girl up to it, you're as guilty as she is. <laughs> you're insane, Basile. Hopelessly insane. You think so, Emma? The whole idea is mad. Too utterly ridiculous for words. <laughs> no sane man would ever think of such a useless, senseless idea. And for heaven's sake, stop laughing. I'm thinking about the victim... Then he learned. Who is the victim? Martin Harriman. Me? Yes, you. <laughs> I don't believe you. You will this time. Who is this girl? I know no girl who'd want to kill me. This one does. Now. Oh, nonsense. However, I wouldn't put a past you to hire someone to do something like this. No, no. This girl is no fake. This girl is serious. Deadly serious. You probably hypnotized some poor woman, figuring she'd never remember what happened. Oh, Hellman, you underestimate me. Maybe I do underestimate your evil mind. But believe me... Put up your hands, Hellman. Get away from that desk. I'll just take care of that gun, Hellman. That's better. Well, since when did you start carrying a gun, Basile? Ah, a gun? Don't be silly. This isn't a gun in my pocket. It's just my pipe. See? <laughs> well, what do you hear, Hammond? Uh, nothing. Oh, yes, you do. I heard it, too. The sound on the porch. I leave now. The back way. I put your gun in the kitchen. 
And I'll be very careful to remove all my fingerprints. You insane fool. Oh, fancy you. You, Hellman, you are going to help prove my theory. <laughs> Good night, Hellman. I'll have him locked up before he gets across town. Good evening, Mr. Hellman. Huh? How did you get in here? Through the patio door. What do you want? I wanted to talk to you. Very strangely. <laughs> You're just imagining things. And what are you doing here? I wanted to tell you something. Yeah? What? When you first indicated to me that you were through with me, I was terribly hurt. I thought all along that we were to be married. I couldn't understand. I tried and tried to think of something I'd done to cause our breakup. Then I happened to find this snapshot in your desk. Snapshot? Take a look at it. Kansas City. No, Atlantic City, New Jersey. You and a blonde. And the date is stamped on the back. A business trip. Ha! Well, what about it? I just wanted you to know that you weren't so slick. I wanted you to know that I knew about the blonde. That I knew you'd lied. Now that you've told me, what good does it do you? A lot of good. First, I thought you came here for money. How could you think such a thing? Well, I think you'd better go now. <laughs> I'm going. Goodbye, Morton. And good luck in your new venture. What venture? This one. Gladys. Gladys! And wish me luck in mine. Gladys stands staring a moment at the body of Hellman and wipes off the gun. Drops it to the floor, takes the professor's check from her purse, steps to Hellman's desk and writes a note. Then she puts the note in an envelope with the check, addresses it, stamps it, turns out the lights, and steps out into the dark street. At the corner, she drops the envelope in the mailbox and disappears. Professor Basile heard the shots. His theory worked. Hellman will torment him no more. The perfect crime. So he can go home to his wife now and go to sleep. Myra. Myra. Huh? What? Oh, oh, Antonio. What are you doing asleep on the Davenport? Do you know what time it is? It must be after midnight. I've been waiting for you. How was opera? Oh, fair. Nothing to brag about. Who sang the lead? Belchiotti. He wasn't very good. Belchiotti? Mm-hmm. The poor Othello. Othello? I thought they were uh, doing Ida tonight. No, they switched because someone was ill. Oh, they just as soon have stayed home. Have a night, Capmira? No, thanks. I'm tired. I think I'll go to bed. I belong presently. Good night. Then the night passes and the morning comes. Professor rises cheerfully and prepares for breakfast. Then... I'll get it, Myra. 
Yes. Are you Professor Basile? Yes. May we come in? We'd like to talk with you. Of course. <coughs> what is it you want? Is your wife in? Yes. We'd like to see her, too. You are. Oh, I'm Lieutenant Davis. Detective Davis. Well, what do you want? Will you call your wife? Why, uh, suddenly. Myra. But what's this all about? What is it, Antonio? These men are from detective headquarters. They want to talk to us. Really? What about? May I ask where you were last night, Mrs. Basile? Certainly. I went to the opera. What time did you get home? Oh, I imagine it was around 11 or shortly after. Mm-hmm. Were you at home last evening, Professor? Well, I was at the club and got home about 12.30. By the way, uh, do you know a Morton Hellman? Certainly. What about him? He's been murdered. Murdered? Good Lord. When? Around midnight last night. I found him this morning. How terrible. Why, I've known him for years. He was editor-in-chief of the company publishing my writings. I'm a psychologist, you know. Yes, we know. But uh, what do you want to know from us? We weren't connected socially with Hellman. Uh, just in business. Did uh, you know him, Mrs. Basile? Yes, yes, I knew him very slightly. Either of you know of anyone who'd have reason to kill him? Uh, certainly not. Everyone thought highly of him. Did you ever hear of a girl named Gladys Tanner? Gladys Tanner? No. Did you know of a Gladys Tanner, Mrs. Basile? No. Is this your purse, Mrs. Basile? Why, of course it is. That's the one I gave you last Christmas, Myra. Well, yes. I must have lost it downtown. Where did you find it, Lieutenant? At Hellman's home. Hellman's home? Well, how in the world? Good heavens, but We how... found it on the sofa. Well, I can't imagine how it could get there. And this is the revolver that killed Hellman, found on the floor beside him. What? No fingerprints on it, however. What? what? May I see it? By Myra. This is your gun. I bought this for you two years ago when I went on the lecture tour. Yes, I think it's mine, but it just doesn't make sense. Did you have the gun in your purse when you lost it, Liza? Well, I... Perhaps I did. I'm so confused now, I can't remember. I think... I think it is, it is terrible. Oh, I know. Oh, dear, I feel ill. Did you ever fire this gun? Yes, once last year up in the mountains. I wanted to see how it worked. Ever reloaded? No, I'd never reloaded it. I, I just didn't think about it. Maybe I did put it in my purse. Why, I don't know. And, and whoever found the purse may have used the gun to... Oh, I just can't seem to think. This gun misfired on the first two shots. The other three killed Hellman. This is the most amazing piece of coincidence I ever heard of. Why would my wife want to do such a thing? Why should she get to Hellman? She hardly knew him. Are you sure about that, Professor? Of course. Well, sorry to say that I don't believe her. What? This is ridiculous. This is going to be a shock to you, Professor, but here's a snapshot we found on Hellman's desk. Taken in Atlantic City last July. Good heavens. Why? This is you, my... You and Hellman. You were at your mother's in Florida in July. (laughs) Myra, look at me. What does this mean? I can't. I can't. And I can't believe such a thing. May I have the purse, the gun, and the photo? Thank you. I'm sorry, but I'll have to take her down to headquarters. But I didn't kill him. I didn't. I wouldn't. I loved him. (laughs) Myra. You better pull yourself together. You'll have to go back. You'll want photos and fingerprints. Yes. Better get it ready, Myra. 
Certainly looks bad for her. Great it does. Looks like an open and shut case. Oh, uh, will you come along too, Professor? Certainly. And so it all worked out beautifully. Not quite as the professor had planned. But then he changed his plan from the moment when Gladys Tanner showed him the snapshot taken in Atlantic City. And he realized that the girl's fiancé was Hellman and that the blonde was Myra, his wife. He had no intention of allowing Gladys Tanner to kill Hellman until he saw that snapshot. And when he recognized Myra's purse in Hellman's home, he decided to let Gladys kill him and the blame be placed on Myra. The perfect crime. But several hours later, after fingerprints and many questions, the professor is just about to be dismissed when Sergeant Rankin steps into the room and speaks quietly to Lieutenant Davis. What is it, Rankin? I stayed at the Seals place, as you said. Well? A few minutes ago, a special delivery letter came for the professor. This will knock your eye off. Read it. Well, this fits perfectly with the writing we were trying to make out on Helm's desk letter. Professor... Here's a letter sent special delivery to you a few minutes ago, postmarked last night. Read it. Dear Professor Basile, your theory worked a certain degree. You convinced me I should kill him. Uh, I should kill him, uh, but when that gun you gave me uh, misfired twice, I, I almost quit. Go ahead, Professor. Read on. Then as I looked at him on the floor, the feeling of self-destruction came back. I'm going ahead with my plan. Here's your check. I won't need it. Besides, I lied to you. I lost my mother long ago. Better luck next time. That is Tanner. And a half hour ago, they found her body beneath Suicide Bridge. Well, Professor, your perfect crime has failed. Failed? Yes. Wonderful setup on paper, but your theory backfired and you're up for murder. But I didn't kill him. But you planned it and you're as guilty as Gladys. She's paid her penalty, now it's your turn. No, no. I won't, I won't be hanged. Never! Rankin, grab it! And now the doctor lies on the sidewalk, 17 stories below. His entire theory worked in reverse. So closes the doctor prescribed death starring Bela Lugosi. Tonight's story of suspense. It came to you from Columbia Square in Hollywood. This is the man in black who conveys to you Columbia's invitation to spend this half hour in suspense with us again next Tuesday when we present the noted actor, Mr. Sidney Greenstreet, in The Hangman Won't Wait.
William Spear, the producer, Ted Bliss, the director, Lad Gluskin, the musical director, Lucian Mahwick, the composer, and J. Donald Wilson, the author, collaborated on tonight's Suspense. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight, we escape into the mind of a man who has been sentenced to die. A man who attempts to refuse the bitter fate society has imposed upon him. As James Poe tells it in his seething tale of violent death, present tense. Starring Vincent Price. Through the dim pain, the cold, dark land wheels away. And the hills beyond, below the stars, are black and sharp. Dead hills, dark sky. Cold steel below my feet. Cold as the face of the officer at my side. Cold as the cuffs which link my arm to his. Which join us on this journey to the prison where I die. Want a cigarette? No. Go on, take one. No, I, I don't use them. Oh. Has this happened to you before? What? Being handcuffed to a murderer. Has it happened to you before? Sure, plenty of time. To an axe murderer? Yeah, there's nothing special, brother. Lots of guys axe their wives, lots of them. I could have escaped after it happened, but I didn't, and now it's too late. Late. Late, ever too late. Never too late, too late, too late. Escape. Escape. If the train were to be wrecked, if the detective were to be killed. Late. Late. Sweet escape, the light escape, the crash escape. No! Oh no! 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 The darkness. Where am I? The cars must have gone down the gully. No lights and those people in pain. This thing fastened to my wrist went halfway through the glass of the door. Keep back! Keep back from his blood! I. I don't seem to be hurt. No broken bones. The tape. Now the, the keys in his pocket, his bloody pocket, and the cuffs are off. His gun and, and the wallet. His face. His face is gone. His own mother wouldn't know him. I'm free. Fire. Fuel oil. I must get away. Here. 
my ring onto his finger. There, that completes it. Yes. Up Beverly Glen, above Sunset. I'll show you where. Gotcha. Read about the big train wreck? Yes. Understand almost a hundred were killed. Here you are. Keep the change. Thanks. My home. It looks so small, so shabby. No one took care of it during the trial. No one cared. No one. No one cares now, but that's good. I like that. I'll be alone, and I won't let the neighbors see me, and I'll sleep and figure out where I go next. The light. Someone's in there. No, it can't be. She's dead. I know she's dead. How did they trick me into imagining the murder? I, I am innocent. The pig in his dirty undershirt. Soft, weak, white neck, fat on his arms. Pig. Grip the cleaver and walk like a feather. He shall be first. Soft, white neck. I Honest, I hear something. What's the matter, sweet niece? I thought myself guilty, and now I am truly guilty, and never in my life have I felt so innocent. Like a dream, like a nightmare, the confession, the conviction, the sentence, and now... Once more, dark night, cold steel, the sound of wheels, just as I lived it before. Why, even the cold face of the silent officer at my side, hard, cold face, so much like that other face. Want a cigarette? No. 
Go on, take one. No, I don't use them. Oh. Has this happened to you before? Uh, what? Being handcuffed to a murderer. Has it happened to you before? Oh, sure, plenty of times. To an axe murderer? Yeah, you're nothing special, brother. Lots of guys axe their wives. Lots of them. Were you ever cuffed to an axe murderer who killed two people, two people at once? What are you talking about? My sin, my crime, what I did, I killed them both. Glam. Take it easy, brother. You only kill your wife. Just her. Just one, that's all. It has been raining for some days now. And beyond the barred window, the leaden sky bleeds sorrow on the barren land. The lonely land, the land beyond the prison wall. The sky was blue when first I came here. Blue, so blue. And now it has become as the walls of my cell, of all our cells. Dark, cheerless cells, these lifeless cells, these cells of men who wait to die. That wet sky, gray sky, cheerless sky. But it is beautiful. I have 12 hours left of life, 12 hours left to live. Beautiful sky, beautiful, beautiful, wet and fresh and alive. Oh, rather would I spend eternity at a well's bottom with, with, with one patch of that to gaze upon than leave this life, than leave this earth, than leave this sky. But leave it I must. The God told me no man has ever escaped San Quentin's death. Blocks and bars, guards and guns lie between me and the world beyond. No escape, not from here. But wouldn't this be nobler to gamble my life in bold attempts and lay it down in reckless resignation, eh? So, now to get out of this super-guarded area. Oh! Oh, God! God! Hey, hey, fight down, fight down, cut it out. What's wrong? What's the matter with you? My, my, my gut! Here! It's killing me! Your gut, huh? Well, I'll call a medic. Now, oh. uh, as I press, you tell me where it hurts. Everywhere in hell. Oh, all over down here. There! Oh, don't touch that place again! Call the ambulance. Right. This man's got appendicitis. Well, what do I do? Why didn't they send somebody with you? The interns are all tied up. They're giving shots today. Well, he's acting kind of crazy. Let's get him over to the hospital block. No hurry. I can't drive any faster. My windshield steamed up. Oh, wipe it. You got a rag? Yeah, here. You could use my handkerchief. Okay, pal. Give him the handkerchief. Oh, my God! Keep right on driving through the gate or the top of your head comes off. You won't get away with this. I will. I'm betting my life that I will. How far back is the prison? About 15 miles. At least that. Okay, pull over. I'm taking her from here. And you too. I want your money, your clothes. And then you can walk back and explain about me. Explain about him? They won't find the ambulance for days. Not at the bottom of that canyon. Now I... I crossed the border on foot and into Mexico. You drink, senor. Oh, thank you. Uh, say, uh, when does the next bus leave for Mexico City? At 12 o'clock, senor. A little card 
bought in a back room with no questions asked, and I become a tourist. Four days' growth of beard, and I become poor. An empty suitcase with a butterfly net strapped to its outside, and I become a source of amusement, a funny, dumb gringo. And who looks with suspicion on the funny, dumb gringo tourist who is poor? Mexico City is beautiful, but not when you are hungry. Not when you are an American who is hungry. Americans aren't supposed to be hungry. What can I do? All I know is writing, the writing of poetry. There, there is one place I might sell some poems. Pollen. His magazine prints some English stuff. Perhaps, well, why not? I have three pesos left. Buy some paper, a pencil, sit in the park, write, and storm the bastions. Here. Do you like them, Mr. Pollen? Well, I... I well, uh, uh, excuse me. Uh, Lucida! I have some poems here. Oh, let me see. The river doubles, dreaming droubles, fester passion of my soul. Ah, muy bueno. Yeah, yeah, that is just what I thought. You are too kind. The poet should read his own work. <laughs> that, that drips, sweet droplets, passions, goblets, fates I roll. Uh, uh, Lucita likes your stuff. A rare woman. And, and I like what Lucita likes. Aha. Uh -huh. She says we do a book of your stuff. Oh? So here's an advantage. Too much. Take it. Win the book. That is it. Right. Got the poem? I'll get them. Your name is? Miss. No good to doubt. So true. I'll make a new one. Please do. And so? Good day, and I'll be back. In 30 days. With the poem. America. Miles below. The bleak brown mountains. The desert yellow and red. My own. My native land. My advance money went for a new clothing and a round-trip plane ticket to Los Angeles and my new lease on life. In a small file under the eaves of the little house in Beverly Glen, there are poems, more than a thousand of them, poems which no one has ever seen, poems written in the evenings after work and Sundays. Now, with the beard and the hat and the glasses, no one will recognize me. A cane. I ought to carry a cane, too. Get the poem. Does someone live there in the house? Has someone bought it? <laughs> no matter. Get the poems and then get back to Mexico City. Hmm. <laughs> someone is living here. I wonder who. The hedge is trimmed. And my, my hammock. Someone's put on a new canvas cover. What do you want here? Uh, are you the lady at the house? Ah, who's that at the door? Some creep with a beard. Yeah, I'm the lady of the house, but I don't want to buy anything. Well, what is it, Santa Claus? What do you want? Are you the man of the house? 
Yeah, I'm the man of the house. That's sweet me. <laughs> I'll say. So what of it? I'm, uh, I'm making a survey. I'd like to ask a few questions. May I come in? Well, I don't know. Ah, let him. What's the difference? Thank you. First, your name. Name? Yes, please. Where's he going? Mister, what do you want in my kitchen? The cleaver, Mary. Don't you know me? Mary. Hey, who are you, mister? Look close, Mary. <gasps> the cleaver. Put it down. Know me? Know the man you tricked into San Quentin? No, don't. Put down that... <gasps> you killed him! Yes, Mary. Yes. No! Confession, conviction, sentence, transportation, and oh, again, again, the death cell as before. But when I came here, they promised I could keep the beard. They promised I could keep the beard. And it's gone. Gone. I can't remember where. What's that? Who's coming here? Ready. It's time to go, my son. Time to go. You've refused my help up to now. But perhaps you'd like to walk with me. Rather beside you, Padre, than beside one of these mercenaries. My legs. The muscles quiver, not with fear, no, but with the desire to feel themselves moving, straining, acting... While yet there is time, I'm not afraid, but this body, I hate the thought of its being killed by these men, my beautiful body, soon it will be dead, cold, rotting, dead, it will rot. No, they must not do this to me. You must be brave, my son. My body, years I spent with the great corporeal master, the yogi, learning my bodily purpose, my bodily care, the use of willpower to control my body, the yogi. My teacher, yes, I shall use yoga. Suspend my breathing and become invulnerable to their gas. Suspend my body functions to the point of death and fool their doctor, of course. Oh, yes, the greatest escape of them all. And this time I must succeed. it would be larger. And here is the chair. Yes, strap, hood. All right, now just sit down. And over there, the glass. Take it easy. Small pane with the dark faces seen dimly through. The witnesses. Now lay your arms along these. The whole room is it's like some strange sort of time machine. Yeah. Machine for oh, launching yeah. a man into I another dimension. <laughs> so true. Yeah. I best yeah. begin to prepare myself. Relax. Relax. Must relax. It won't be easy. Have you any last words, my son? Yes, one request. Do not allow my poor body to be dissected or embalmed, but on the third day after my death, cremate it. That will be arranged as you desire. Thank you. God be with you, my son. Remember what Christ said to the two criminals. In this day shalt thou be with me 
in heaven. Now move your head forward a little. All right, put the hood down. There. Now when you hear the pellets drop into the acid, don't try any tricks. Just breathe deeply, see? Fumes don't hurt, see? When you just cooperate with us, make it easy on yourself, pal. You know what I mean? Authority vested in me by the state of California, I pronounce this man dead. I will myself to consciousness in six hours' time. Where am I? Dark here and cold. So cold. I I must get up and see. Oh, the prison morgue. It worked. But I'm cold, so cold. What's this on my toe? A tag. Too dark to read it, but I know what it says. It has my name, prison number, time of execution, yes. And now to look around. Because the next step must be played just right. And this should be it. A coffin crate ready for shipping. Some cadaver being returned to a sentimental family. Well, that ought to be just right. With him on my slab, my tag on his toe, and the most perfect escape of all time underway, here we go. I will my body to return from its state of suspended animation and to come immediately out of trance when next this coffin shall be opened. (laughs) 
Hello, old man. Oh. Funeral parlor. <laughs> Poor fellow. He must have a bad heart. Let's see. No, it's going. Well, let's hope he's out for a while. This must be the workroom. Light hanging over the work table and... There, a locker. Oh, with a suit. Fine. And here in the... In the desk. Might there not be some sort of... Uh, yes, here. A petty cash box. And it's quite full. And the old boy apparently doesn't believe in banks. <laughs> and now... And now that Lazarus has returned from the dead, this newspaper, Dateline, I was executed four days ago. Now I find myself resurrected in Indianapolis, Indiana. Los Angeles, California. This is Los Angeles. You can claim your baggage in the station or on the platform. Return to my home. Beautiful time to return home. My old hammock is there, and my flowers, my yard. Oh, the house is empty. The lawyer said he had it cleaned up. Oh, my books, my pictures. Here's my old pipe. I haven't smoked it in years. Mary didn't like it. But now she's gone. I don't see her anymore. Tobacco's still fairly fresh. Still the pipe. There's that detective story I never got to finish. Now I'll have time. Now I'll have lots of time. Time to smoke and read and write and rest. Oh, the sun's almost out. Twilight. Wonderful time to get outside. Cool, sweet air. Wonder what kind of birds those are. My hammer. And oh, relax. Wish I could remember what page I was on, but no matter. I can begin again. I've got all the time in the world, the rest of my life. Birds. The sun is slipping out of sight. Death of the sun. I read the sky. Oh, those clouds. So lovely. Birds playing in the fish pond. Look at them. Happy birds. And hissing. The neighbor is turning on his lawn sprinkling system. Lie here and smell the cool air. Evening coming on. Sky grows darker. Lie in the gathering twilight. Death of the day, birth of the night. Sweet softness of the summer night coming. Soon the stars. Oh, it's lovely, heavenly, just like heaven. Lie and wait, rock and rock, to and fro. Heavenly, heavenly. By the authority vested in me by the state of California... I pronounce this man dead.
Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Tonight we have presented Present Tense by James Poe, starring Vincent Price as Roger. Featured in the cast were Charles McGraw as Fred Sneed, Joan Banks as Mary, Harry Bartell as the Doctor, and Ben Wright as Pollen. Also heard were Tom Tully, William Lally, Jeff Corey, and Paul Fries. Special music was arranged and conducted by Del Castillo. Next week. You are alone at the controls of an experimental rocket aircraft. About to be hurled 40 miles out from the Earth's surface into the limitless boundaries of space. Into a nothingness from which there may be no escape. Next week, we escape with Graham Doerr's imaginative and widely discussed story of a rocket pilot who receives the strangest and most terrible warning in the history of man, the outer limit. Goodbye, then, until this same time next week, when once again we offer you Escape. When Bob Hope visits Bing Crosby on Bing's CBS show tomorrow night, they'll be singing a duet called Have I Told You Lately. That's a good theme for Bing and Bob, for you know and I know that when the two lads get together, the gags about each other's shortcomings fly thick and fast. Tomorrow night, with National Sauerkraut Week as the springboard, Bing and Bob promise one of their most hilarious meetings. So don't miss the CBS Bing Crosby show, which is heard on most of these same stations. Now stay tuned for Pursuit, which follows immediately on most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, where Wednesday night is Bing Crosby night, the Columbia Broadcasting System. that does it for Mr. Boris Karloff, Mr. Bella Lugosi, and Mr. Vincent Price in The Monsters Tell the Story Part 2. Please join me later on tonight, guys, as I bring something else to chill your spine. Have you ever wondered what's beyond our planet? What creatures are beyond the planet earth well join me later on tonight for the spine tingling episode visitors from another planet guaranteed to chill your spine and join me this coming Friday guys as I bring to the show this first appearance on the show Mr. Red Skeleton and join me Sunday night guys as I finish my Spooktober presentation part 2 with the 90th anniversary of Frankenstein starring Mr. George Edwards and join me in the coming weeks guys as I bring such stars as Miss Ned Kelly Miss Murray Wilson and Kathy Lewis in the CBS comedy show My Friend Irma, Mr. Edward G. Robinson 
and many others. If you like the show, please comment and subscribe, guys. And always remember to enjoy the show. Thanks.